In early 1934, Mexican muralist Diego Rivera was painting what would be his most controversial mural ever. He had been given a large wall on which to paint it, in the prestigious Rockefeller Center in New York City. The work was commissioned by the owner of the wall, the wealthy politician and art collector Nelson Rockefeller. Rivera was calling the work Man at the Crossroads. And he always has to do something to anger people. <laughs> so That's author Susan Vogel. We'll get to the part that really made people angry about this mural, but let's explain the work first. He puts a Aryan man, a white man, blonde-haired, blue-eyed man, in the middle at the control of some big machine. This figure is presumably mankind, who has mastered the natural world through his technologies. He sits at the center of the work, which is very geometrical. So there's this axis that runs up and down, and then from it are two ellipses that project out from this character in the middle. They almost resemble crisscrossing lenses radiating out from the guy in the middle. One lens is filled with the cosmos and the wonders of space exploration. The other examines the microscopic world of biology and the wonders of modern medicine. And on the left-hand side, again, he's got that caricature of the Wall Street folks, the wealthy people at a cocktail party. And then he has, above that, a military-industrial image, so very much a war image with people wearing gas masks and helmets with bayonets and airplanes flying above. And then he's got some images down below of some children just staring off in front of them and a riot. On this half of the mural, Rivera was evoking the brutalities of World War I and the destructive technologies that capitalist societies had unleashed on people. There's even a fierce statue of the Greek god Zeus menacing people with a bolt of lightning. Contrast this scene with the right side, where there's a healthy crowd of unified workers wearing red scarves and waving red flags, symbolic of the Russian Revolution. Loud gathering of workers expressing their views. So the contrast is, you know, that part is pretty obvious, the military-industrial complex and the privilege of the wealthy people on the left, and then what happens when you have a socialistic government and a wor workers who are healthy and strong and participating in the process on the right. Also on the right side of this mural, you see workers seated on the decapitated head of a classical Greek sculpture of Caesar. Some interpret this as Rivera's way of criticizing the political elite of antiquity who repressed the popular masses throughout history. All of this was pretty provocative, especially in the 1930s. Notable figures in the communist workers' movement are also shown, like Leon Trotsky, Friedrich Engels, and Karl Marx. But famously, it was the face of one key Russian figure that really rankled Nelson Rockefeller, the face of Vladimir Lenin. Why can't you paint another face over it? Would you prefer Stalin? I don't. I was kicked out of the Communist Party for disagreeing with him. But if you want, I'll paint Stalin. You're not being very cooperative. Here's a scene from the 1999 film The Cradle Will Rock about that conflict between Rivera and Rockefeller. I am too. I told you that I would paint Abraham Lincoln surrounded by freed slaves to counterbalance Lenin. And you rejected the idea. Why Lenin? He's a revolutionary leader like your Washington and uh, Jefferson. Hey, there's an idea. Paint Jefferson. That's not a bad idea. That's not a bad what, idea at all. What do you say? What do you say? 
I said, ridiculous. I said, Abraham Lincoln to balance Lenin. But Lenin stays. This is not a revolution, Diego. This is the United States. It's not Russia. Mm -hmm. And I am Diego Rivera, not Frederick Remington. You understand that it is entirely inappropriate to feature a communist leader in the lobby of a Rockefeller building. No. I believe nothing in art is inappropriate. I paint what I see. You're listening to Nuevas Voces, a podcast by artists in Mexico in Utah. This is episode 14, and in this episode, we're continuing to talk about Diego Rivera and the muralist movement, and specifically Rivera's most controversial work, called Man at the Crossroads, a mural that caused so much outrage at the time that Nelson Rockefeller forced Rivera to stop painting, paid him in full, and promptly had the whole mural destroyed. The whole wall it was painted on was torn down. Rivera later that year painted a new version of the same mural in Mexico City, which he gave a different title, Man, Controller of the Universe. But why was this mural so offensive to American capitalistic sensibilities at the time? And who again was that blonde man in the middle? Let's get back to where we were. So uh, what I read, it's the meaning of industrialization. He represents industrialization. But as Susan said, uh, Diego Rivera was very much in favor of uh, how science develops, and science is all developed based on, on the elements of the cosmos. Because when we look at those wings, uh, to me it looks more like an atom, right? Uh, the, the, form, the shape of an atom. And, but we also see natural elements in those wings. We see the moon, we see the sun, uh, the stars, the clouds. So the elements that are shown in these wings are based on the cosmovision. Cosmovision. You remember that idea, right? If not, go back and listen to episode one. Science, because of science, industrialization was implemented. The more I study this mural, the more I think Rivera was really thumbing his nose at the wealthy elite in a not-so-subtle way. I mean, I can see why Wall Street don't like this. <laughs> you know? Luis Lopez. He's just pushing the limit with uh, his work and what they would find uh, acceptable. I mean, of course, he's, he's protesting through his art. And so that's the biggest thing I see with this and the placement. And I don't think it's an accident that he painted what he did where he did. It's always funny when people hire one of these political artists to do what they do, and then they're outraged that they do what they do. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> they grow to fame because they don't hold back, and then you think that because you're paying them, you're, you're going to control them. And that's what I love about a lot of these mirrorless is, I mean, so yes, they're, they're, they're being, <laughs> yes, like they're being contracted to paint these things, but at the end of the day, it's like, I do what I do, and that's it. Mm -hmm. So... Isn't it the case often that whenever people try to censor a work of art, that work of art grows infinitely more popular? Censorship can backfire. Well, I just said, imagine you work on Wall Street and you go to walk past this every day. Like, as your, as your job is to try to make millions for the people on top, like, and you gotta, I mean, as you go in the office, as you leave, you have to see this. It's a reminder, I think, that eats at your conscience. And so that's probably why they, uh, well, I'm sure that's why they wanted it gone. It's also important that we consider the time period in context of this mural. It was during the Great Depression, and many Americans were struggling to get by. Because the unemployment rate was huge. People were starving. They couldn't get jobs. The, the uh, division between the super wealthy and the, and the poor was so vast. The Communist Party in the U.S. was very popular. It was on the ballots all over. 
So what the muralist brought was this sense of honoring the worker was art that showed social inequities and economic inequities and portrayed the worker as someone with dignity. So for the U.S., this was a great time for that art to come here, and the impact was huge. The Mexican muralists influenced the creation of the Works Progress Administration, the WPA, part of Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal during the Great Depression. It employed artists to work on projects across the country. I mean, the WPA mural projects all over the country, there's hundreds, if not thousands, of them. And we have, we have them in Helper, Utah, in Provo, in Beaver, Utah, on the walls of post offices. We have WPA buildings all over the state. It, it also really invigorated the artistic work here that portrayed social themes and, and themes of social justice and social realism. Hmm. And this was, it, it resonated with work with artists here because prior to that, there had been this big push of European abstraction, Picasso, that kind of stirred everything up. And now this was just sort of something a lot more accessible to people because it showed real life things and, and the, the political and social problems of the time. In 1933, the famed American poet, E.B. White, published a poem in The New Yorker about Diego Rivera's conflict with Nelson Rockefeller over his provocative mural. Here's the last stanza. It's not good taste in a man like me, said John D.'s grandson Nelson, to question an artist's integrity or mention a practical thing like a fee. But I know that I like to a large degree, though art I hate to hamper. For 21,000 conservative bucks, you paint a radical, I say shucks. I could never rent the offices, the capitalistic offices. For this, as you know, is a public hall, and people want doves or a tree in fall. And though your art I dislike to hamper, I owe a little to God and Gramper. And after all, it's my wall. We'll see if it is, said Rivera. That was E.B. White's poem, I Paint What I See, a Ballad of Artistic Integrity. You can see images of both Diego Rivera's murals, Man at the Crossroads, the one that was destroyed at the Rockefeller Center, and his second version, titled Man, Center of the Universe, that's in Mexico City, on the website and home for this podcast, artismexut.org. Also, as always, please share your thoughts with us. What do you think of Man at the Crossroads? Do you think it's still controversial today? Are there any similar political murals that you can think of that anger people in similar ways? Let us know by leaving a comment on our website. Thank you to Luis Lopez, Fanny Blauer, and Susan Vogel for their insight and commentary throughout this podcast project. The music you heard on this episode comes from Philip Glass, Al Caiola, Antonio Pinto, Calexico, Ted Weems Orchestra, and of course that Russian communist composer, Dmitry Shostakovich. This podcast is made possible by a grant from Utah Humanities. Thank you to KCPW for the studio space. I'm Ross Chambliss. This is Nuevas Voces. Thank you.